So how do we leave this place? <laughs> You're like, we don't, we move in. That's what we do. No, we, we leave this place just walking with him and continuing to go deeper with him. You just continue. This is just the beginning. <clears throat> and see, when you walk with him and you know who he is, remember the first video and the first question, the first statement, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. It's true because that dictates how you walk. It dictates how you view yourself. It dictates everything. <sighs> so who, who is he? <laughs> We've gotten to know, as we've gone deeper to know who he is, we've gotten deeper to know even a little bit more about ourselves. We've gone there not alone, but with him and his spirit. And the reason we can even go there is because of the life of Jesus. And the cool thing is that God is sovereign over the whole thing. He's sovereign over your whole story. He's been sovereign over this whole weekend. He's sovereign over your afternoon. He's sovereign off over your evening. He's sovereign over tomorrow. And that ought to shape how we walk with him, how we go deeper with him. In fact, I was walking past, down the hallway of my church, past a friend who was in the week of his dream job final interview. And he had been going through this interview process for months. And I'm walking past him, and this was the week, like it was two days later that he was going to have the final interview to see, is he going to get the dream job he's wanted? He's like 26 years old, been working for years for this moment. And I'm walking up to him, and I'm like, I bet he's so nervous. <gasps> I bet, do I say anything? Do I just like pat him on the back? Like, what does he need in this moment? And I'm praying, actually, as I'm walking past him, and I, and I felt like, just talk to him. I'm like, I don't really want to, because I'm just going to, okay, how are you? <laughs> you ready? You ready? how are you feeling about the week? And he goes, oh, I feel good. I was like, you do? Oh, how are you so calm? And this was his response. Oh, God is sovereign. Even I can't screw it up. And then he like walked past me. So let me tell you that truth. You ready? God is sovereign. Even you can't screw it up. Right? That's how, what if I just said, let's pray, and finished it? That would actually be way more memorable, right? We should do, let's do that. It'd be way easier for me. No, okay. Because I actually have like five intros, and I'm not sure which one I want to use yet. But um, he is so in control that you can't screw it up. Amen. You can't screw up what he's up to because if you fail, he uses that. Yeah. And you know what that he uses with the failure? He brings you to the foot of the cross where you find forgiveness in your time of need and then it makes you a more forgiving person. You become like Jesus even in your failure. Isn't that wild? <laughs> and if you succeed, he grabs glory from it. And if it brings more pride, he leads you to the foot of the cross where you find forgiveness in your time of need. <laughs> He uses all of it. If my friend interviews well and doesn't get the job, God is sovereign. If he interviews well and gets the job, God is sovereign. If he interviews poorly and doesn't get the job, God is sovereign. If he interviews poorly and gets the job, God is sovereign. Isn't that kind of freeing? 
I met with a gal at my house before she came up here to move into Joshua Wilderness Institute, and she was sharing with me her life and how the past few years had been, and I could sense this anxiety in her. She was talking about, like, the hill she's coming, but I sensed in her this readiness, like, I'm, I'm ready for what the Lord has next. I'm ready, and I hope you're kind of, like, feeling that readiness, and I said, wow, you are ready, and, I, and I'd seen her through the course of her life, and I'd seen moments that she wasn't ready. I'd seen moments that she'd failed, and I'd seen moments that she'd run away from the church and everyone involved in it. And at this moment, she seemed really ready, and we were going to go to coffee, but we just stayed in my car, and I went, well, let me ask you a question. What, feel, what does it feel like that's in front of you? Does it feel like this massive mountain you have to climb? She goes, it does, but I think I'm ready for it. And I kept thinking, but what if she's not feeling up for it in a week? God, is it a mountain she has to climb? And the more I read scripture, I realize it's not a mountain you have to climb. It's just a path you get to walk. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. It's a path that we watch with. We walk with him. This can be our pace. This can be how you go home. And I'll be honest with you, this is the polar opposite of how a typical Sunday morning goes. A typical Sunday morning is like this. Into a story, you're engaged, scripture, 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 true, 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 go a little deeper, and then inspirational story, we're on our way. That's Sunday morning, here. But here's this one. Let's go a little deeper and just keep walking. And if you trip, here's the really good news. When you get back up, you're already on your feet again. Isn't that wild? It feels really simple, doesn't it? I feel like that's the pace of the one we follow. I feel like that's actually the pace of the sovereign one who's doing all things, all the time. He's even working in your sleep. And he's given you this gift called rest. And our culture flips everything upside down. It says, no, no, no. When, when you don't get a lot of rest, that means you're really productive. And that means you're really successful. So brag about how little rest you get. Have you noticed it? Our culture flips everything. And God's like, rest is actually a gift. Scient scientists and researchers have been like, why do we rest? And they try to research it. And they go, we don't know. You just need to. <laughs> God's like, my pace is a little different than yours. So who is this God? See, we've already discussed him as... Jesus. We've discussed him as the spirit. Who is God? What comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So we've got to get this right. And thankfully, God's not silent in this conversation. In fact, he's most communicative or clearly seen when Jesus came, right? Remember Colossians 1? Who is Jesus? Jesus is the, the image of the invisible God. Do you want to see what God is like? You look at Jesus who appears, and then he begins to teach people all about the kingdom and the king. And then he begins to teach all about who God is, and he describes him as judge, Lord, creator, and then he goes through all the omniscience, although he doesn't use those words. That God is everywhere. He's all-present. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And he goes off, but there's one way that he describes God more than any other way, 189 times in the four gospel narratives, he describes God this way. Father. We've talked about God the Son. We've talked about God the Spirit. This morning, God the Father. Remember Jesus, when you pray, say our Father in Matthew chapter 6. He says it also recorded in Luke chapter 11, John 14, 9. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Remember Matthew 5, 14 through 16? You're the salt, you're the light, so that people will see your good deeds and glorify your Father who art in heaven. So if God is our Father, I'm going to tell you this, the enemy and the culture that he's trying to infiltrate will do everything to destroy fatherhood. 
and it's everywhere. I mean, it's even in our movies. Even in some of our favorite movies. A friend of mine named Tony hates one of my favorite movies, and I don't know what to do about that. Um, the movie Sandlot. See, does anyone else hate it? Only Tony. It's only Tony. Is there anyone else that hates it, or is it just Tony? Yeah, just Tony. Poor Tony. Well, anyways, let me, if you don't know, everyone knows a Sandlot. If you don't know Sandlot, just say I don't know. So, okay, I got you. No problem. No problem. So it's okay, guys, guys, guys. Grace, Grace, Grace. Um, no, no, it's good. It's good. So Sandlot, basically, there's like a little boy with his mom and stepdad, and they move into this new town. But it's summer, which is a problem for a little boy, right? He doesn't have any friends. And turns out it's even harder because the little boy is like not athletic at all. Do you remember? Like he goes, like the mom's like nudging the stepdad, like go have a moment. And the stepdad's like, I have to work. And they're like, no, go have a moment. And he goes out and he tries to play catch and he can't even throw. It's just this like pathetic moment. And you're like, oh no. And then it ends with like the stepdad being like really annoyed, right? And he's like giving him pointers and the kid doesn't get it. It ends with him throwing the ball, getting the black eye, the whole thing, right? And then basically uh, the neighbor, Benny Rodriguez, shows up, remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, like, takes him to the sandlot, gives him his hat. Like, it's, they're so, it's so beautiful. Like, it, and he takes him to the sandlot, and all the kids are like, why'd you bring that kid? He's so terrible. And he's like, oh, watch this, and does, like, a miracle throw, and then he catches it, and there's this thing with a dog. And, <laughs> but the reason my friend Tony doesn't like the movie is this. He hates the stepdad character. He even, he especially hates at the very end of the movie, after all this happens, the boy somehow becomes athletic. It's miraculous. And they get the ball back from the dog, signed by Babe Ruth. And it's like this whole thing. And at the end of the movie, there's like this heroic moment where the boy's playing with the stepdad again. And it's like the music is playing and he's just catching it with the dad. And the dad's smiling. My friend Tony's like, this is an awful moment in the movie. Because the, the stepdad's getting all the credit and he didn't even go on the journey. You know what the stepdad did? The stepdad starts playing ball with him at the beginning and gets really disappointed and angry that he's not as, he hasn't come as far as he should by now at that age. You should be further along than you are. And he's disappointed in him. And he's pointing at him and he's getting and kind of like stuffing him down. He's like, come on. He gets disappointed, throws the ball harder, gets the black eye, is completely non-existent for the rest of the movie. And then at the very end is like, so I get it, Tony. I get it. I still like the movie though, but... I get it, Tony, and I want to tell you that our Heavenly Father is nothing like that stepdad. Our Heavenly Father is not looking at you on this Sunday morning and saying, you should be further along than you are right now. He's saying, I'm sovereign over it all, and even you can't screw it up. Isn't that really good news? And he's like, and I'm walking with you. And I recognize, I recognize, I recognize that the minute I even bring up the word Father, there's a lot that goes on in us. Like a wild amount that goes on in us. So just know that I'm not unaware of that. In fact, I did all the research. I'm so grateful. There, I mean, there's apparently like 60 different categories of types of fathers, and there's one that's positive. And one, um, one pastor I really liked, he took and he just put him into six categories. And he's like, there's, there's so many that we could categorize like earthly dads. But let me tell you the six. There's the absent dad. And this is absence based on divorce, potentially death or just not present by choice. There's the abusive dad. He's not only not there, he hurts us. There's the performance dad that says, you're blessed if you earn it. There's the passive dad who's in the room, but not really. There is the antagonistic dad who's not even just not for you. He's almost against you. And then there's the positive empowering dad who's not perfect, but he loved you in the good and the bad. And I love the way Jesus even talks about our father He even says this, you know, there's all these like rough pictures of our 
earthly dads. And so when we hear God as our father, part of us wants to go like, let's just talk about Jesus. Or let's just talk about um, the Holy Spirit and his power. That sounds a lot better than ending the weekend on father on such a sensitive note. But I think you're not going to be able to capture his heart until you get a, a better picture of who he is. And there's all these negative pictures and then you, but then you also read when Jesus is talking about it, I think it's in Matthew chapter seven where he's talking about it. And he goes, you know, like even like the worst father knows how to get good gifts for his kid. Even like the worst fathers, if that kid asked for food, won't, he won't give a stone, but I also recognize some of you feel like you got the stone. But what he says in that passage is even if like your dads on earth didn't know how to be the best dad, but they still would get you at least what you need, Jesus' proclamation is, how much more? And so we get to rely on the how much more father who is not a reflection of your earthly dad. He's the perfection. The perfection. He's a perfect father. And maybe you're sitting there going, I felt like I was without Psalm 68, 4 and 5 says, Sing to God, sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord, a father to the fatherless. And I love that right next to it, a defender of widows. Is God in his holy place. So if this is who God is a father to us. We have to know how he fathers. And one of the best ways we're going to know how he fathers is how he fathered his own son. And you know he does that throughout the gospel narratives. In fact, as recorded in the book of Matthew, there's only two times God the Father speaks and he says the exact same thing. So it feels pretty important for us to turn there. Matthew chapter 3, if you have your Bibles. Matthew chapter 3. The little context of Matthew is God comes to earth, Jesus with skin on, walks among us, and is about to begin his public ministry right around age 30. And it kind of feels fitting for us right before we go live out the messages we've received. Before he begins his public ministry, this is what happens. <laughs> Chapter 3, Matthew, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I don't need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. So as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment... Heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice, here it is, from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus had not done any of the miracles we praise him for yet. And Jesus speaks these words over him. This is my son whom I love, and in him I am well pleased. This is my kid. He belongs in the family. I love him. He doesn't need to get it from anyone else. 
and I'm already pleased with him. Wow, can you imagine walking around with that type of acceptance? No, yeah. Can you imagine? By the way, the Mount of Transfiguration is the other time that God speaks. God the Father speaks over his son. And you want to know what he says? He says this, this is my son (laughs) whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And the only thing he adds on at the very end is this, listen to him. (laughs) Isn't that good? So if we need to receive a word from the Father to know how he fathers, we can actually receive this word that he gives to his son. Because we're his kids. In Christ, we are his children. And Romans has something to say about what it means that we're his kids. If you have your Bibles and you want to go on an adventure, we're going to a lot of scripture. If you just want to take notes, I'm going to read them all out loud. We're going a lot of places. I hope you're ready. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Then you get to the book called Romans. Romans written by a guy named Paul. Turns out he has a past. Um, But God can do whatever he wants with whomever he wants, whenever he wants to do that thing. Paul is a living testimony, and you can be too. So uh, Romans chapter 8, we read this, verses 14. Again, first truth, if God is our Father, what does that mean for us? Well, verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. If the Spirit of God dwells within you, then you too are a child of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Have you taken, are you catching all the themes of the weekend? You don't have to live in fear again. Where does fear oftentimes begin in our minds? Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father, you are not a slave to your past because you are freed as his kid. And by his spirit dwelling within you, he cries out, I have a dad. You have a dad, a perfect heavenly father who is so powerful and present that you don't have to be afraid. Have you ever noticed how much presence matters when you're walking down a dark alley to be with someone who's big and strong? (laughs) I'm no longer a slave to fear. Why? Because I'm a child of God. See, the payoff for salvation is not just eternity and heaven, but having a father in the meantime. See, I have a feeling that God does not want to just give you a ticket to heaven and have you live broken down by earthly disappointments until you get there. But some of you are going, okay, but my past, and we're talking about fatherhood, so my past really did happen, so what are you asking me to do? Just sweep it under the rug? By his spirit, he wants us to cry out our true identity. I am a child of God. By his spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. By his spirit, we can cry out something new over us. See, the truth is we're not going to sweep under the rug the past or your family dysfunction. What we're going to do is this. We're just going to recognize that we don't, we don't have to be a slave to those words anymore. Now, I get that a lot of you, um, divorce has happened. But I want to tell you, it doesn't define you. It doesn't have to define you. It happened. Abuse happened. It doesn't have to define you. Pain happens. And it doesn't have to be the thing that defines you. That's why when God speaks, he speaks a word of identity over his kids. And then he leaves his spirit that will cry out continually, I am not fatherless. It's by our spirit we cry out, Abba, Father. And every single time we even think to pray, God is on the move right there. Did you catch that? By his spirit we cry out, Abba, Father. So anytime you even get to the moment of going, God, the spirit is moving. He's moving for you to find your identity as his kid. 
And his kid, who also, by the way, remember the words of the father, his kid is really loved. Now you're thinking, that one I already know. Thank you. So I'm going to say something more profound. Are you ready? You're really loved. And oh, how I wish you would know it. Already loved. The book of First John, you can keep turning. I love it. My son made me sticky notes to find it really fast, so <laughs> I win. But um, <laughs> he really did. They're really cute. He's now going to do that when I teach. It's really cute. First um, uh, John chapter 4, dear friends, yes, let us love one another. First John, if you just keep on going, you get to all the E-ends. It's all those letters written to all those imperfect churches. Turns out that's not original to us. <laughs> that's good news. Okay, and then there's a bunch of letters to friends, and then you get to First and Second Peter, and then First John. But John has three books. Are you there? Uh, <laughs> before you move on. Only Jude and Revelation. Now our song is through. Okay, jo uh, dear, chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God, born of God as a child, and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. That's who he is. This is how God showed his love among us. He didn't just say that he loved it. He demonstrated his love for us in this. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live. How? Through him. This is love. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And you don't want to know the one who wrote this? It's likely the same John that wrote the book of John. And you know how John refers to himself all throughout the book of John? It is the funniest thing. The disciple whom Jesus loved. It's like so silly that he's like, oh, and then the disciple who Jesus loved beat him to the tomb. Remember, if you've read it, it's so good. He just describes him as like, oh, the one who Jesus loved. And at first I used to think it was like so funny and silly until I recognized like how profound. I'm John. I'm actually the one Jesus loves. And if you're a child of God, watch this. You can say the same exact thing too. Hey, I am Megan. I, I am the one that is loved. And I so believe it that I'm free from trying to get it from you. Yeah. And it feels so free, ladies. It feels so free. It feels so free to be a speaker standing on a stage not waiting for your approval. <gasps> and can I tell you, it's, I don't just need it for stages. I need it for like walking into weddings. There's something intimidating about weddings. Anyone else? Where it's kind of like, okay, yeah. You get walk in, you're like, who do I know? What are my hands doing? You're not crazy, but you are loved. And see, I think here we tell a lot of people about the love of God, and I think but if we could somehow get outside of ourselves and if a light could shine on every single woman who didn't believe it about themselves, a, sh a light would shine on them. I think we'd be really shocked. So I just have to keep saying it and trust that, God, that God's going to do more work than my words could. You're really loved. You're a child who's really loved. And remember the last statement from Jesus, or from God the Father toward his son? In him I am well pleased. Already, this is before the miracles, before you go have quiet time with him consistently every morning with a cup of coffee, which by the way, I'm now 37 years old, and this is like my first year really doing that. It's great. 
I used to try to fit it in all the time, and I kind of did it most of the time, but like for the first time I'm doing morning quiet times, I feel like I'm a living testimony to go like, it's really great. And if you're a parent of young kids, it's really essential, turns out, um, <laughs> to be filled with love versus trying to get it from them. You know what I mean? And you're just ready to overflow it. It's really important to spend time with your heavenly father who really loves you. We need to create space for him to love us well. And he's already pleased with us. What I talked about last night is this uh, double imputation idea that Jesus went to the cross and our sin was imputed onto him, which means what? We're fully forgiven. And in his resurrection from the grave, by grace, through faith, we receive everything he is. We receive his righteousness. Righteousness means right relationship. We receive right relationship with God the Father. In fact, it says this elsewhere in scripture. You can just write this one down. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says this, that he, speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin became sin. Our sin was imputed unto him. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of Christ which is how I can even teach this passage to you all. As God the Father spoke over his son Jesus, I can stand confidently and say, if you've given your life over to Jesus, God the Father's words toward his son are true for you too. He's already pleased. So much so that the author of Hebrews in chapter four has this wild moment where he's talking about how we can enter into God's throne room of grace. Have you ever read it? We can enter in with, and it uses this word, confidence. Did any of you guys describe yourself that way? You can. You can enter into his throne room. And whenever I think about his throne room, there's a certain picture I think of from the book of Isaiah where it's, it's God on the throne and he's like controlling lightning. I think his face is like ruby or something crazy. And then there's like all these elders and they're circling and they're just going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And somehow they're not getting sick of it. Just like a little kid who's like more, again, again, again. The angels are like, again, again. Like, and he's ruling and he's reigning and there's lightning and I have this picture of him and he's up on the throne. And then Hebrews chapter four says, here's how we in Christ can approach that throne. Ready? Confidently. You know what that would look like? Watch this. Throne. You. Isn't that wild? We can approach the throne, and it even describes what the throne is like, of grace with confidence. Why? Because can you get that picture and can you imagine just confidently going toward it? That's wild. Here's what you're not going to bring. Your resume. <laughs> and all the other things we do to define ourselves or make ourselves feel important or that we think we bring into different environments, our work, titles, how much we know about the Bible, See, I think we carry all these other identities and they're not wrong, they're just not primary. And we walk in and we can approach the throne room of grace with confidence. Because one day, ooh, and this one gets personal for me, one day we will stand before God. And I have thought and I've talked with these friends about that moment we will stand before God. And we've questioned, like, what is he gonna ask? And the one we keep kind of coming back to is this, like, he 
he might actually ask, like, did you love? Did you serve me? Did you get distracted? <laughs> you were so busy. Did you love me? Did you love others? And I have really good news. That won't actually affect your confidence. Here's why. Because the reason you're standing there in the first place is not because you're standing there alone. And no matter what question he brings, <laughs> here's how you can respond. I believe in Jesus. I plead the blood of a substitute on my behalf. Did you love me? He did. <laughs> and he loved me and I believe it. Did you love others? I, so I tried, but <laughs> he loved me. I am in him, he is in me, and I stand here confident because of it. And if that is your future, standing before almighty God the Father, trusting that he loves you as he loves his son, that you don't have to stand there on your own. The moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you stand there in him. And he will respond, more than enough, come on in. You are a child in Christ. Why? Because he was the son of God and you stand in him, which makes you a kid. You're really loved. And if you think you know it, you don't know it at all. My husband used to say this. I was a really arrogant lifeguard at 16. So arrogant. And then he became an EMT and he's like, oh, I was so arrogant. I thought I knew everything. And then I got in the medical field and I'm like, oh, shoot. And then I learned a lot in the medical field. And then I became an emergency room nurse and I got really good at my job. So much so that I realized how much I knew, but what I realized is that I finally only knew enough to know how little I actually knew. You're loved. You are so loved. And he's already pleased with you. And if you're gonna stand one day before God the Father in Christ and he's gonna go, my kid, then why not take advantage of that here and now? <laughs> why not walk into the gym already accepted? <laughs> Can you imagine the confidence you would have walking into your workplace, not thinking the work you do that day is where you're gonna find your acceptance? Can you imagine walking into your parenting not looking for love back? Marriages, relationships, friendships, bosses, <laughs> walking into job applications. God is sovereign. Even I can't screw it up. And I'll end with this. My um, littlest boy, his name is um, Jedediah. He is three. And um, I remember when we changed his name to Jed, we had a different name and I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, but it didn't, like, make any sense or have a meaning, which I, anyways. And, um, but then my husband read the Bible, and um, Solomon was actually renamed at one moment Jedediah, and it means God's beloved. And my husband goes, I think we found his name. I'm like, oh, no, we have a name. He's like, no, I think we found it. I'm like, okay. And um, he's like, it means already loved, basically. And we were envisioning him, like, going into middle school and, like, teaching him all about his name, so then sending him into middle school like this, already loved, buddy. 
already loved. And when people say your name, be reminded of it. You're already loved by God. You don't need it. You don't need it. You're accepted already. Go, go, go. And I remember one time when I was pregnant with him, praying over actually two young ministry leaders. And I had this picture that was of my boy while I was praying over them. I was like, sorry. But I gave them the picture of it. And, you know, it was actually for my boy. And it was this. And it was a different picture. It was really surprising. Um, the token picture, not the one that I had, the token picture is like a little boy who like takes his little bat and he walks up to like the baseball field and he kind of gets there and then he like hits the home run and as he hits the home run, he starts running to first and his dad stands up and he's like, that's my boy and he's like, yeah. And then he soars around the, ba- the, you know, the bases and he gets to home plate, home run. The picture was different because it was a little boy and he was walking up kind of tentative to the plate. And before anything happened, the father stood up and said this. Watch this, watch this, watch this. That's my kid. And the crazy thing about that father, if that is our heavenly father, he actually already knows if you're going to swing and miss this week. He already knows. He already knows if you're going to hit a double, a single, a home run, and none of that affects your truest identity in him. The one that you get to walk deeper into life with him and with others because that is already true of you. So ladies, you can swing for the fences. He already knows. He is the sovereign one. He is your father who loved you so much that he demonstrated his love by sending his own son in the likeness of human flesh to be a sin offering in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. And then he gave you his spirit to do it. To do what? Just to keep on walking, ladies. You don't have to pick yourself up anymore. You can walk up to whatever the Lord has for you, knowing this. You're his kid in Christ. Already loved. And ladies, you're already accepted. Let's walk free. Heavenly Father, I pray. And thank you. Like I was just starting just to talk, God, and, and I love that you even let that happen. I just can just talk, and there you are. But God, I'm imagining right now, even that I want to honor you with my life. I want to honor my dad. So Lord, I ask, even now in them, between you and all your girls, what are you asking of them? What's their next step? If there's something specific, would you let them know? If it's to have a serious conversation about what it means to love you, if it's someone that needs to be loved through them, if it's initiating a consistent group of friends, if it's studying your word, what is that next step? Your heavenly father knows all the steps. He knows where he's leading. But what's the next one? Ask him. Oh, Father, you are in heaven and your name is meant to be hallowed. And may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven with that crash into here. Give us today precisely what we need more of you. Help us to forgive others as we've been so forgiven and lead us not into temptation. Thank you for being our Father, guiding our steps. We love you. And all God's daughters said in unison.